Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host and president of the Fozzie Bear Fan Club, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I have never been more excited to do an episode of this podcast than I I am right now. I don't know if you remember this, Larry, but we actually met talking about the Muppets. Do not remember this. <laughs> I do but, remember. But no, it was when I we were talking actually we were talking about the Fraggles and we just kept talking about, you know, doozers and whatever. But I like I somebody you you and I had this great conversation. You were very, very animated. My husband was standing there next to us, and you walked away from the conversation and Ron goes, My husband goes, Who was that? And I said, It's Larry. He's very passionate about the Muppets. <laughs> Not only, there's a reason I don't remember this story. That is because this is everyone's first conversation with me. That's right. That's right. I'd like to think it was special, but I mean, you know, it's it's your... It's we have a lot of special things, but... Yes, we do. My Many. passion for the Muppets comes up early in every relationship. I mean, I think it's your. I think it's the way you just throw bread on the water. It's like, is this going to come back buttered toast, or is it just going to sink? And if it comes back, you know, comes back at you, then good, good to go. Fair enough. Now, <laughs> I, I want to remind our fans: we know the Muppet movie is not a Disney movie. We know. Ew. We yes. just don't care. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about the Muppet movie. We're caring less. Yes. <laughs> So you want to set us off with some key facts? I would love to. So some key facts to set the stage. The Muppet movie was produced between the first and second half of the Muppets show's third season. And man, these these guys had to just work nonstop. They did. I, I mean, I, the production just is constant. Um, they just they're just full throttle all the way. The, the Muppet show was produced for British television first, and then later syndicated and broadcast on the CBS network in the United States from 1976 to 1981. When Disney acquired the Muppet franchise in 2004, they re-released the Muppet movie as part of Kermit's 50th anniversary edition, which is kind of neat. The song Rainbow Connection was nominated for an Academy Award, and in 2021, the song was selected for preservation in the National Recording Registry by the the Library of Congress. Kermit's performance in the swamp required creator Jim Henson to be submerged in water. (laughs) I love this fact. The swamp was created on a studio backlot. It's actually the same swamp where Kermit is singing. The swamp where he's singing is an update to the Gilligan's Island Lagoon. So oh, it's actually cool. the same the same spot. And so Henson has to squeeze himself into this specially created diving bell with oxygen pumped in through a tube so that he can perform Kermit. It's just unbelievable. So much of what is happening in this movie is Jim Henson perfecting the art of puppetry for movies. Oh, uh, 100%. The riding of the bicycle, Gonzo yes. flying through through the balloons. Uh, oh, yeah. He he's such an innovator. He's all he was always experimenting, always trying to push the envelope. One hundred percent. So a number of big stars make cameo appearances in this movie: uh, Dom DeLuise, James Coburn, Madeline Kahn, Telly Savalas, Carol Kane as Myth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Williams, Milton Berle, Elliot Gould, Edgar Bergen, and Charlie McCarthy, and what which was actually their last role. 
Um, Edgar Bergen passed away while they were cutting this movie. Uh, Bob Hope, Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, the incomparable Mel Brooks, uh, Cloris Leachman, and Orson Welles, who is fantastic in, in his uh, role. Um, one of the 1951 Studebaker Commander Coupes used in the movie was actually retrofitted to allow a person to drive the car from the trunk. And so Frank Oz could perform Fozzie Bear in the front seat for close shots. And then someone was actually in the trunk driving the car <laughs> while Fozzie was pretending to drive the car through Frank, right? And you can see on this car, I've seen it actually on display at uh, the Studebaker National Museum in South Bend, Indiana. I am so desperate to see it. That is, That oh. will be a pilgrimage for me one day. <laughs> It's very cool. It's very cool. Um, so to promote the Muppet movie, CBS launched a TV special six weeks prior to the premiere called The Muppets Go Hollywood. Uh, Rita Morano and uh, Dick Van Dyke co-starred. And the show aired on May 16th, 1979. And it was nine days after my baby brother was born. And I really think this may have been his first exposure to the Muppets. Wow. So, though I'm not sure. I do remember watching that as a as a young kid. So. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So let's dive into this movie. And I'm excited to, I mean, I'm going to be excited about everything, but I'm excited <laughs> to talk about Armanish to not today because there's a really good question to ask here. Um, why does this movie start where it starts? And in fact, the Muppet movie does not actually start with the Muppet movie. It starts with Statler and Waldorf getting onto the Hollywood set to watch a screening of the Muppet movie with Kermit and Fozzie and Robin and the rest of the gang. They get together. Kermit gives a little speech about thanking everybody all before the quote unquote real movie begins. So we almost get two Manish Tanaz for the price of one. Right. So the question is, why does the movie begin outside of the movie? And this, then we'll get to the second Manishtana. When the movie proper starts, why does it begin with the rainbow connection? So, Andy, do you have any thoughts about this? Why do we start outside the movie? Why, why not just start with Kermit on the log and a banjo? Well, this, this is a prologue, right? Yeah, we know what we need to know. Um, I, I mean, it's a Genesis movie. I, it's like, how did we become we? Right? That's a, how did the Muppets become the Muppets? And so, and 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 Robin and Kermit are kind of talking back and forth. He says, "Well, at least approximately, this is approximately how it happened." Right? And in the prologue, we see a lot of characterization. Um, we know who everyone is. I mean, we meet we meet a, we meet them. Um, but in the event you've never heard of the Muppets, which in 1979 might be pretty hard to do. Impossible. Yeah. It, it, but it might be for just to kind of settle in like, hey, we know what's happening here and you know us and we're the Muppets and this is our movie and I hope you like it. Um, I, I think yeah. part of that's right. But I think also there's two whole other levels to this choice. This mm -hmm. this is, the, you know, when you're dealing with genius, and, and Jim Henson is genius, uh, his mind just works in a couple of different ways. So one of the things that I think that it's doing is right up front, it is promising us 
chaos and mischief and hijinks later on. Yeah. So even even though we're going to start with a single Muppet, it makes a promise to the audience. All the craziness that you've come to expect from the Muppets, we know you want that, and we're giving you that here, right? Right. So, it's so a foreshadowing. Right. When we're going to we're going to slowly have. Uh, Kermit assemble our core cast over the course of the movie. So let's just let's just let you know. We know what you want. We know you want all of the Muppets. Here they are right now. You'll get that again towards the end of the movie, which and I what think works. Yeah, yeah. What works now, though, today watching it in you know 2022 is the Muppets. If you don't have any experience with the Muppets, the prologue's pretty helpful. Fozzie cares about uh, being funny. Miss Piggy clearly wants Kermit to sit next to her. It's giving some of the characters in broad strokes. But here is the other thing that this movie does that is brilliant. Okay? I'm very excited to talk about this. (laughs) Which is, it posits that the movie was written by Kermit and the Muppets. And therefore... Any flaws that you see in the movie later on are not plot holes. <laughs> They're not mistakes. It's that's what the movie would be like if the Muppets wrote it. Right? Awesome. So, yeah. so when Fozzie starts to give exposition and Kermit says, hey, Fozzie, we can't do this right. They have an argument <laughs> about story structure in the middle of the movie. Right. You just go, okay, I... They know. They know. Yes, there's going to be a song where the Electric Mayhem paint Fozzie's Studebaker for seven minutes. And yes, that car is only going to be in the movie for another 45 seconds. But it doesn't matter because the Muppets wrote this script and that's how they'd write it. Anything that you see in this movie that you think is a flaw is a feature. Yeah. Yeah, it's I stand genius. by that. No, it's genius. It's absolutely genius. And uh, there's just so much. There, it's so rich and so good. Manish Tana number two, the movie yes. inside the movie. We begin, we get <sighs> the credits. There's the shot from above where we come down to the swamp and we find Kermit sitting on a banjo, banjo playing guitar. And this is the first time we have seen full body Kermit. For yeah, real. we've never seen his legs before. That's what I remember as a kid. I was like, oh, Kermit's got legs. In that the real first. world, in a setting, there's no sign of Jim Henson underneath no. the swamp. And no. little Larry watching this movie didn't appreciate this moment because, of course, Kermit was real to him. Right? right. Of course, right. Kermit has legs and can ride a bicycle. <laughs> Why does right. this why does this start with the song The Rainbow Connection do you think? Andy? Oh man. Well, I mean the prologue contains a lot, right? But the song The Rainbow Connection contains both visual exposition, we're going from something really big to something seemingly insignificant, a frog playing a banjo in the middle of a swamp, right? The whole world to this tiny little part of it. And, and we get the longing of Kermit's heart because that's what the rainbow connection is. You know, who said that every wish could be heard and answered? Somebody thought of that and someone believed it. Look what it's done so far. He says things like, you know, I've, I've heard, heard it too many times to ignore it. 
Yep. It's something that I'm supposed to be. He's he's promising a spiritual journey. So they've promised yeah. promised the silliness, but they're mm-hmm. also promising that this movie is going to take us on a journey and we're going to be better for having gone on it with them. It's yeah. it's not just for fun. We're also going to grow as people watching this movie. And Andy this is my movie. I watch this movie when I'm very happy, and I watch this movie when I'm very sad, and it always takes care of me. Whatever my mood, this movie takes care of me. Oh, 100%. Like, if you're a writer, if you're a dreamer, if you're an artist of any kind, as we are, you know, you get exactly what Kermit's positing, right? If you're, um, dare I say it, a weirdo. <laughs> well, I mean, this movie is, it's about... This movie stakes its claim, you know, right from the beginning in that um, it is about the wild misfits who make movies and TV and puppets. Yes. And while the standard rich and famous contract is the goal, the real magic is in the relationships you create with the people while you're making the art. Because if that's right, then everything else is all right, too. Yeah, we'll come back to this point. Yeah, we will. But the success of it, like, the success is I can make millions of people happy. Right. And that's the line. That's the line. That's the part of this. When when the agent comes to, uh, Bernie the agent comes to Kermit and says, hey, you should take this, go and audition in Hollywood. They're looking for singing frogs. Mm -hmm. Um, It isn't the fame and it isn't the money that, that calls Kermit to the dream. It's the making millions of people happy. That's right, right. That's the dream. And and I would posit that this song is the Muppet version of When You Wish Upon a Star. This song, Andy, Betsy walked down the aisle to this song <laughs> when we got married. It's so good. It's I, so good. It is it is one of the most special songs in, in my life. It's okay. magic. Let's go into plot. Let's do it. All right. So we have some exposition. We see Kermit is in the swamp. He can play the banjo. He can sing. We've already talked about the inciting incident, which is very clear. Uh Bernie, the agent, tells Kermit about this opportunity. And Kermit, while he initially resists the call for about an eighth of a second, Uh says, nope, I'm going on this journey. Uh, Uh That, I mean, it's, it's very clear. It, changes his life. We get that inciting incident very quickly, almost immediately after the first song of the movie. Well, wait a minute. So so usually with a road movie, you get like a quest for glory where the protagonist is running to something or you get somebody running away from something, the law or criminal or possessive lover or whatever. In this movie, we get both. Yes. So I'm going to pause it that in this movie, we actually have two inciting incidents. Uh, that's, because we have two one? different things. The second one is when Doc Hopper makes Kermit an offer, and he refuses that offer. And Hopper starts escalating the intensity. So those two, th- you've got these two. It's the B, Hopper's the B story. Can, you know, the first dramatic question is, can Kermit get to Hollywood and become, you know, is he going to make it, right? Is he going to make millions of people happy? And then the second question is, uh, with Doc Hopper, is is he going to escape Doc Hopper? Well, so it's certainly a dramatic question, and it's certainly a protagonist. I mean, that's where the conflict in the movie begins, right? There's Mm -hmm. no conflict to that point. So I get where you're coming from here. 
that that presupposes that the most important event in Kermit's life uh, happens before the inciting incident. And I'm sorry, but rising action must be the fated meeting of Kermit and Fozzie Bear, right? Fozzie gets on the journey. He's got to get on. He's had an inciting incident in his life, which is Kermit walking into the El Slizo Cafe. In fact, Kermit is the inciting incident for everyone on this journey. For everyone, right. Gonzo, Piggy, the Electric Mayhem, Bunsen and Beaker, Rolf. They were all just where they were, not really heading towards the dream that they wanted to to in their heart of hearts until right. Kermit incites each of them to action. So we right. could argue, I guess, Andy, that there are <laughs> 20 Multiple. or 30 inciting incidents in <laughs> right, this movie. Right. But what is Kermit's inciting incident? I think it's I think it's the agent. I do I will stick by my guns though and say that I think the genius of this film, again, it's genius. With it is a road movie. It's a typical you know, if you look up, if you go Google road movies, you know, classic road movies, the Muppet movie shows up in that list, right? But it's at again, the top of my list. It's yeah, but it, it's both. It's not just Kermit running down a dream. It's not just Easy Rider, right? It's not. It's not just uh, you know the fugitive, right? It is both. It is both of these movies at the same time. Well. Let's see, because I think there's actually a bunch of different movies also in addition to these two. <laughs> oh, so, maybe so. So we'll we'll agree to disagree on inciting incident. Uh, okay. I would say meeting Fozzie's part of the rising action, but we'll put that sure. aside. We'll put that yeah. aside. Rising action continues, uh, certainly after the point with Doc Hopper. Uh, we have Kermit and Fozzie sing a song, uh, moving mm-hmm. right along. And mm-hmm. then they meet Gonzo and Camilla. Mm-hmm. They... Cr- and Conzo and Camilla join. They end up at the count. They 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 also meet the Electric Mayhem along the way. The, I'm I'm hitting the order not correctly, but it's fine. That's fine. Then That's fine. then we meet Miss Piggy at the county fair, and she goes right. on the journey. They go yeah. on. Kermit and Miss Piggy go on a date, but that date is interrupted uh, by Doc Hopper once again and Mel Brooks. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end of that date. Kermit and Miss Piggy uh, have a falling out because Miss Piggy wants to take a commercial and she abandons Kermit. Uh, We continue. And then one scene later, Miss Piggy is back in the car. They pick (laughs) her up again and the dream continues. Right. right. They keep meeting people. They keep picking them up. Doc Hopper keeps trying to get Kermit. Uh, it escalates. Each encounter is more dangerous than the one before it. Mm-hmm. Andy, where would you say this movie reaches its climax? Well, before we get to the climax, I want to say this, that the cr- there are lots of references in this movie to other movies in pop culture that might be missed by younger viewers, right? And in that way, it reminds me of Sesame Street, where there's stuff for the kids, but there's a lot in there for the adults. For sure. Right? There's like Gone with the Wind, the Frankly Miss Piggy, I Don't Give a Hoot. You've got High Noon in the showdown. You've got uh, Tom Jones, uh, (laughs) 
and uh, Casablanca and Chinatown. They're doing the Cas- every movie. There's the, the barroom brawl. Oh, yeah. The Hare Krishna. They've got uh, references that Tonight Show, How Fat Was He? Uh, I Only Work as a Single is a line from Bing Crosby, you know, in White Christmas to Danny Kay. You got the North by Northwest shot. I mean, it's all in there. And it is brilliant. And the, usually... You know, usually screenwriters, you're like, well, how did these little bits drive the story? And they add to the whimsy that is the Muppets and the Muppet Show, because it isn't just limited to a stage production for television. This is who they are, and this is what they do. And and this is it. It's it's a misfit kind of vaudevillian, what in the name of Fats Waller is that? Like, it's all of that. And then we get to this climax but before we get there, we have that all hope is lost moment at the campfire, right? Well, see, this is the question, Andy, because <laughs> I'm going to argue that there are three separate moments that we could point to as the climax. Yeah. Um, and you've identified two of them. So <laughs> I think if we were doing traditional movie, we uh-huh. would be saying it's the scene where the good guy fights the bad guy. It's the moment where things could go really badly. Yeah, And it was the first one you mentioned, the confrontation the between Kermit and Doc Hopper in the ghost right, right. town. We could, that is the typical climax of the movie. Yeah. But for me, the movie is not really about this Kermit-Doc Hopper relationship. It's part of the movie, but it is arguably the least important thing here. Mm. Uh, the other scene that you mentioned uh, feels to me more. We've talked about the difference between a action climax and an emotional climax before. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the all hope is lost moment, which is when right. the the van, not the van, but the the car breaks down. Right. Uh, they're on the side of the desert. They're gonna miss the audition the next day. Everybody's sad. Gonzo sings the world's saddest song, which, but it's also sweet. (laughs) We'll we'll come back to that song in a moment. Sure. Uh, And then Kermit goes off and he has a conversation with Kermit. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is the emotional climax of the scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of the whole movie. It's it's the moment where Kermit, in his all, all hope is lost, goes off into the desert sort of has a vision quest where he meets himself, Mm -hmm. uh, realizes he's promised himself something, and it's okay to be disappointed that it didn't come true, and to Mm -hmm. be emotionally honest with himself about what he's feeling. And also to realize the dream doesn't die if this one opportunity disappears. Well, and it's this great reversal at that all hope is lost moment, too, because it starts out, he starts out by saying, I didn't promise anyone anything. And but and he reverses that to, I promised me. I lied when I said I didn't promise anyone. Yes. I promised I me. I promised me. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I think so that's so good. for me. It's so good. That is the more important confrontation than his confrontation yeah. with Doc Hopper. But... But we could argue there's a third climax because, you know, he's got to get to Emerald City and meet the Wizard of Oz. Right. He's got to he's got to meet Mr. Lord, who is Mm -hmm. this fancy producer. And is he going to get this rich and famous contract? That's the moment of truth. 
is the dream going to come true? You could even argue that there's a fourth climax. Yes, you could. <laughs> which is when the set starts falling apart yes, as they're singing yes. the last number. Yes. Uh, it's climax after climax here. And listen, I wouldn't write my screenplay this way. Yeah. But it's written by the Muppets. I believe this. And for them... <laughs> This works. It works great, doesn't it? I mean, I think, again, I think that moment, I, I see it a little differently in that the, the all hope is lost moment at the campfire kind of propels Kermit to keep going. Yes. Because this, I didn't promise anyone anything. He's he's feeling the, the gravity of these people and what they want, right? And then there's, but it turns into, no, this is, this is about me. And, and then when he goes, interestingly, with the three climaxes that I think are, th I think there are three of them too. Um, there's a showdown with Doc Hopper and he says, who are your friends? Those guys? Like that's how, that's how Kermit confronts him, right? Because Hopper's friends are there as long as the money comes in, but Kermit's friends are there with no money and no hopes of ever having any. And that Muppet family is willing to die for Kermit. Yes, they are. Just uh, on the basis of relationship. Here's right? the here's the other part of this. Kermit goes into his confrontation with Doc Hopper, believing that there's a good man deep down in Doc Hopper who yes. can be redeemed. Kermit yes. is actually giving Doc a chance to be a part of the dream. If Doc Hopper turned to Kermit and said, what I really want to do is tap dance, Kermit would say, Come along to the audition with me, Doc. Right. And he could be a Muppet. Yeah. Right? He right. could be. His his other PhD uh, allies, Doc Hopper, Doc Honeydew, and Doc Teeth, one more PhD for the team. That's great. Right, right. But but that's how Kermit does a confrontation. It's not it's not combat. He tries to love Doc Hopper. Right, and which is something Hopper's never experienced before, and Hopper's resistant to it, and so Animal has to show up. <laughs> and so Animal has to show up. <laughs> but who is redeemed in that moment is Max. Well, we'll talk about Max when we, we get can to talk Max. about I that have, in a minute. I have some, but mixed anyway, feelings. that's kind of that's my first climax there. My second climax is the showdown with Mister Lord to audition because they get there and they've got this gatekeeper in the incredible Cloris Leachman, right? Um, and and they finally. You know, they they Chinatown their way into the, mm -hmm. into there and to see Mr. Lord. And Piggy says, Kermy, we're all with you. Yeah. Right. So the, once again, they're all together and the lovers and the dreamers get their wish. They do. They, they're kind of they They get exactly what it was that they wanted. And so now then the third climax, everything they ever wanted is crashing down and exploding <laughs> and then that rainbow shines through the rafters. And there it is again. All of the misfits together. All of them. They are Every the treasure one of at them. the end of the rainbow. They are the treasure at the end of the rainbow. You're right. Life's like a movie. You write your own ending. You keep believing. You keep pretending. Thanks. And then there's this gratitude. Man, like, thanks to the lovers, the dreamers, and you. And man, it is just heart all the way. And oh. guess what? Millions of people are now happy. Yes. Because if you can't, what? listen, if you can't listen to Kermit sing Life's Like, Life's like a Movie as he's got the rainbow shining on his face, 
man, your heart's not beating. <laughs> because I, it is it is so it gets me every time. It, every single time. You you cannot tell me that you don't like the Muppet movie and expect to be my friend. It is a <laughs> deal breaker. I mean, it's a great litmus test, Larry. I'm glad you use it. I'm glad I failed. I, I mean, I'm glad, glad I succeeded. That's that's just it for me. It This movie is about love, and I always love a movie about love. Yeah. And so the falling action and the resolution here's I mean, just as a moment where you think you're just going to sob your eyes out, here comes Sweetums as Jack, right? We get through back the to the silliness <laughs> immediately. Sweetums crashes through the screen and uh, and we go back outside the movie. The audience is there again. You hear Fozzie go, Sweetums! And then everybody starts talking and yapping to each other. As mm-hmm. the end credits go up, it's wild, frenetic energy and chaos. New Zealand is throwing his boomerang fish. Uh, Kermit goes over to Fozzie and says, if you pay attention, he says, you were very funny in this. Because, of course, that's what <laughs> Fozzie needs to hear. <laughs> the, they're about to go to what I can only imagine is the world's greatest cast party. And oh, man. Yeah. I want to be there. I want to be yeah. there for that. I'm glad they stay with us through the end of the credits. Most movies up until 1979 were in darkness just looking at the credits. But, right. but we just get this extra time with the Muppets after hours. And I, I'm there for every second of it. I love it. Larry, you and I have talked a little bit uh, about meta reference before, but I think this is a good movie that illustrates meta reference. Sure. And I think some of our listeners just thinking about craft. Um, so I, I'm curious what you think meta reference is and whether it's a good thing, a bad thing, or if it works here. I mean, it certainly, like you said, they're the Muppets, right? So they can they can do whatever they want. If the Muppets are writing a movie, they're going to use meta reference. Sure they are. Maybe we could dig in a little bit and talk about how it works and why how it's working in this movie. So when we talk about something being meta or a meta reference, we're talking about a work of art that recognizes that it is a work of art. Um, if, you know, in the middle of reading The Princess Bride, William Goldman interrupts the action of The Princess Bride to talk to the audience and says, hey, listen, uh, I I want to see this scene here, too, but I'm not allowed to. My editor said I'm not allowed to write this scene, so uh, you're not going to get it. Or, right. you know, in, in a movie, very often this is called, or on stage, this is called breaking the fourth wall, where right. you look out to the audience and you say, I know you're here. Uh this happens a lot in parody movies. Uh, Austin Powers uh, will often like look at the audience and give a wink or or give a take. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and when we talk, the movie that we talked about before that had meta references was Emperor's New Groove. Correct. Right. Yes. And the way that they used it was at one point, like Cusco says, "Wait a second, we left before you guys. How did you beat us to the lab?" And Isma goes, "How did we?" How did we beat you to the lab? They have no answer to it. They use they use it to just be to remind the audience, ah, eh, forget it. Like they're just Well, Cusco even stops the whole action. This is wait a minute, wait a minute. This is about me. Yeah. About you know, yeah. Right. So he's yeah. constantly talking to us. Um here they're using it in a in a sort of different way. Because I think we're two levels in. The meta references are the movie within the movie talking to Kermit and the gang watching the movie. We're watching Kermit 
watched the movie he made. <laughs> right? It's it's kind of it's kind of funny. So, you know, every once in a while Kermit will go, good grief, it's a running gag. Or or my favorite moment is the moment where uh like Kermit like pulls out the script and says, get, throws it to Dr. Teeth and like, look, the audience doesn't want to hear us go through this again. This will be a real time saver. Why don't you read the script? And Dr. Teeth pulls out the script. The script comes back later on when, when, yeah. when Kermit is like, how do, how did you know where to find us? And Dr. Teeth says, I still have the script. Because <laughs> we read the script. We knew where to come in, right? <laughs> so is it a good idea or a bad idea? I think in this movie, which posits that the movie within the movie is not well written and very silly. I think right. we I think I'm fine for all of it. When, yeah. when Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen are like, how did a pig win a win a beauty contest? And Edgar Bergen says, Come on, Charlie, be nice. It's their movie. Right? It's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all fine. So in general, if you want your movie to be taken seriously, if you want your audience really in like really engaged in are my characters going to live it or die you don't mm -hmm. want any of that right i mean one of the most boring things you can do it, it, i i think in a movie is watch somebody watch television yes right? like we Dalmatians. talked about that with 100 uh, yeah we i was just going to bring up 101 dalmatians um because i know you hate that but like i'm okay with it but like but yeah like i i think that puppets can get away with this in ways that human actors can't because like you said, the puppets are also the writers. Yes. <laughs> and I, I mean, and it's sort of like animation. I mean, in that way, as the, in that, you know, we as the audience are playing along and we want to be in on the joke and they want us to be in on the joke. And it becomes this interactive experience. And do we really want to like be we watching this movie and worry that Kermit's going to die? Really? No, I don't. I don't. We know, we know this doesn't end with a funeral. <laughs> it doesn't end with Doc Hopper chowing down on Kermit's legs. It's just not that kind of movie. <laughs> right. I mean, so, and, and who, yeah. So yeah. it's fine. And, and honestly, people, most people are grossed. I mean, some people are not, but most people, most children probably are grossed out by the idea of somebody eating frog legs. And so they don't want that to happen. And they're, it's, not, it's not even that scary. Here's the other thing the movie does. There is a moment where things get really tense between mm -hmm. Kermit and Miss Piggy. Mm -hmm. And Miss Piggy has abandoned Kermit and Kermit's mad at her. And it's an it's an awful moment. And what they do is they have the movie within the movie stop. The film gets like tangled up and the Swedish chef has right, to fix the projector. Right, right, right. They take us out of it. We see that the Muppets are all together. Uh, Kermit's not far from Miss Piggy. They all stretch right. their legs a little bit. It gives you and the audience a chance to go to the bathroom if you need to and come <laughs> running back without missing something. But it also, for the younger viewers, takes a moment to say, listen, they might be mad at each other, but we know how this ends. They're a happy family and they love each other. There's some right. intense stuff that's going to come in. Let me just remind you, the Muppets made a movie. At the end of this, yeah. you know how this ends. And I think it makes it a safe movie for younger viewers to watch. I think you're right. I think that's good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's dig into some characters because that's where the meat is, right? Yes. <laughs> let's talk about Kermit the Frog. Okay. 
I, <laughs> I'm here for this. Let us talk about Kermit the Frog. Um, I, I think the thing that is amazing about Kermit the Frog, um, as opposed to Mickey Mouse, they're often compared to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kermit the Frog is a dreamer, like Mickey, but unlike Mickey, Kermit has anxiety, mm. right? Things get out of control for Kermit. He he has to manage relationships, right? There's something there's something in Kermit that like recognizes, like I have to show respect to other people. I have to be friends with other people, but I also have to rein them in when right. I need to rein them in. He is a natural leader of of I was going to say leader of men, leader of Muppets. Because because he knows when to be serious and he knows when to be silly. He has his own doubts, but he puts the needs of his group before others. Yeah. Uh, I even though he doesn't really do a lot of action stuff in this movie, one of the first choices he makes when he goes into the El Slizo Cafe is he sees Fozzie up on stage being treated terribly by an audience. Yeah, that is not Kermit's problem. No, Kermit could just walk away uh, and and continue on his journey to Hollywood. But he sees someone. Fozzie is on the stage going, oh, please, (laughs) I prepared. Let me do my jokes. They're not even giving him a chance to perform. They're just throwing stuff on him. And Kermit comes to the rescue, gets on there. They do a little song and dance number. He doesn't. Kermit doesn't have to do it. But he no. recognizes someone else who shares the dream. What does Fozzie want? Fozzie wants to make millions of people happy. And right. Kermit wants to make millions of people happy. And that means even though they've never spoken to each other before in their lives, they're family. Right. And and there's this empathy that, that Kermit sees him and says, hey, we can do this together. And at first, Fozzie says, no, I work alone. And Kermit says, "Okay." he doesn't push the issue. Fozzie (laughs) wants to be begged a little bit. Right. He wants to be begged a little bit. Oh, but but Kermit says, oh, you work alone. That's fine. Silence for 15 seconds. And then Fozzie slams his hand down and goes, you talked me into me into it. There it is. But I think Kermit's power is the power to assemble family. Mm -hmm. He can find family anywhere. He will he will always and there's always room for more. It's right. never the car is too packed. We'll trade right. in two vehicles. We'll get a bigger vehicle. There is more room for people on the dream uh, as long as you share the dream. And right. for me, like there's something so he, he helps other people live their best lives. Well, and he just lights up like a firecracker, right? When he catches the notion in that very first scene that he can make millions of people happy as happy as he is playing that banjo on that. He is super happy. And I I can't help but think if that isn't what Jim Henson was thinking, right? I know that's what one one day, one day, one day he's sitting there with a puppet and he's like, you know, he, he catches this vision that he can make millions of people happy and bring, and bring Frank Oz with him and bring, you know, Jerry Jewell along with him and bring all these people, bring his own daughter and his son and bring everybody along with him to make this work. The most Jim Henson thing about Kermit is the the belief that everyone is family if you just give them a chance. Yeah. Yeah. You can't say more than that. No. I love Kermit. 
Me too. All right, Doc Hopper, the late great Charles Durning. Well, um, you know, it, it, it occurs to me that 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 Doc Hopper and Kermit. Um, well, I think Doc Hopper is Kermit's foil, right? Oh, um, he for sure his his dream is to make people happy by making himself rich and killing frogs. But his Kermit, dream, Kermit yeah. wants no part of that at all. And in fact, you know, Kermit can't fathom killing frogs. He just thinks Hopper removes their legs and puts them on crutches, right? Which is so, so sweet, Kermit. Kermit, he uses right? every bit of the frog. Right. Um, so Doc, Doc wants what he wants for himself, and he's willing to use people and sidle up to some of the worst people out there in order to get his thousand restaurants. But, and so both of them are ambitious, but Kermit's motives are inclusivity, like you said, family building, and just joy spreading. And Hopper has to kill and keep killing to get what he wants. Doc Hopper is all about forced family. Oh, yeah. Where where Kermit says, no, thank you. I do not share your dream. Doc Hopper says, you don't have a choice. I am connected to you, Kermit. I have decided Mm -hmm. that you're part of my family, and I will relentlessly hunt you to the ends of the earth until you accept your place in my dream. Right? Right. That's the opposite of Kermit. Yeah. Um, And and that's the way in which they're foils for one another, is, is Doc Hopper wants to dominate. He doesn't want other people to live their best lives. He wants them to make his life better. Mm-hmm. Um, that that being that being said, you know he's a very he's a silly antagonist in several ways. When when he offers Kermit like five hundred dollars and says you could be making this money every year, every year. I'm like I'm like Doc, come on. Uh, there's there's never any real danger that Kermit's going to buy into Doc Hopper's dream here. The temptation right. isn't a real one for him. And there isn't really a danger that Kermit would be a Doc Hopper, right? Not in this movie. No, no. Um, There's there's not going to be a Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker moment between the two of them. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's never really tempted, but he has to run from Hopper in order to get to his destination. Right. Um, And you would think that other people slow him down, right? You would think if the danger... But the truth is, he Hopper becomes less dangerous the more people Kermit brings along with him, right? I don't, I don't know because he's he's becoming more and more ruthless. He's hired a frog hunter, a bounty hunter. He's willing to <laughs> shoot at Kermit now. Now it's no longer about Kermit being alive in those commercials. He'll take Kermit stuffed and mounted, um, and and put him in the ads. I think he's getting more dangerous because he's not used to being denied. Right. Um, but I, I, I guess the thing that I would say for Doc Hopper is, I wish that he learned something. I when mm. Kermit offers him the chance for redemption, I wish that Doc would take it. Uh, it's it's Kermit. Kermit makes the most heartfelt plea for brotherhood between the two of them, uh, and Doc, it is grace being offered. And I never yeah. like it. I never like watching villains reject grace. It can be a great moment in a movie. Sure can. Um, but, but uh, you know, Doc is selfish and he will always be selfish. If, if this speech from Kermit didn't turn him around, nothing will. That's right. Fozzie Bear. I love Fozzie because he's willing to work at the El Slizo 
where he is not on brand. He is mocked and ridiculed and terrorized. And he needs to be doing his act in a place that will accept him and love him and encourage him to get better. And he doesn't even know that he needs that. Well, so here is the... So, fun fact about me. Uh, When I applied to college, the essay choice that year that I had to put in with all my college applications was to write about your personal hero. And I wrote an essay about Fozzie Bear. And my mother was ready to kill me. But... I sent that essay to just about every college. And my essay talked about Fozzie Bear. The thing about him that that it is, is I said, Fozzie really models the long-term game for a life in show business. Mm -hmm. Every night he goes out on the stage hoping to connect with his audience, and and he doesn't. But nothing stops him from going out the next night and the night after that and the night after that because he has so much love to give them, mm-hmm. he's going to keep trying. And for me, the thing about Fozzie that really is his relationship with Kermit. The song mm-hmm. Moving Right Along is about two friends who make each other better because mm-hmm. each of them reinforces the other's dream. Together, they are better than they are separately. They make Mm -hmm. each other better. They make each other better people, and they make each other better performers, and and they bring out hidden depths from one another. Fozzie Bear is love. He is my favorite Muppet, uh, and he's sweet, and he's anxious, but he's sincere, and he's Mm. guileless. Yeah, he he really does, like, have this, he keeps swinging, you know, he keeps swinging and maybe he should do more to hone his craft. Sure. So that colors the way I see Max a little bit, but, um, what, what do we have to say about Max? He's the one who proves that doc stream is selfish mm-hmm. because he doesn't really buy into it. Right. There's the moment where doc says is Matt Max is my friend. And Max shakes his head no. And we already no. know Max isn't there. Max knows that, that Doc has crossed the line to villainy. He's transgressed. He's gone too far. I mean, uh, he's building the restaurants and he sees success. Um, the thing at Max's core, I think it may, what makes him an interesting character to me, is that in the beginning, he sees success as being as ruthless as Doc Hopper, right? Um, but in the end... Max is more swayed by Kermit's worldview, I think, than Hopper's. But why doesn't Max join with the Muppets? He runs after Doc, but he doesn't join with the Muppets to join their dream. And for well, me, he's not—he's not invited, though, right? But he would be. Everyone is. I think so. Yeah. They meet a guy whose job is to jack cars. He shows Sweetums shows no ability to perform at all, mm. and yet, and yet. Kermit says, hey, you want to come along with us to Hollywood? He just knows. Anyone Mm. can go with Kermit. Max chases off after Doc. Interesting. Uh, He's happy that Kermit won. He's happy to see that Doc lost. But he's not going with them. He doesn't share the dream. Mm. All right, Miss Piggy. (laughs) What I love about Miss Piggy is Miss Piggy really believes she is the ingenue of this movie. (laughs) That this is a Rhett Butler, uh, Scarlett O'Hara, 
kind of moment, that this is a romance for the ages, that this song is the greatest love song ever sung. Mm. She is 100% committed to this movie. She thinks this movie is about her romance to Kermit. And it isn't until midway in the movie where Kermit, Kermit basically says, okay, we've done enough of the romance stuff. Now let's get back to the actual plot. But I mean, she's committed to it. I love that moment where she looks out to the crowd and her eyes are drawn to Kermit and she sings. Oh yeah. Never before. Like, like, I, <laughs> right. it's so great. It's, it's, I mean, she, she wins a beauty contest, which is fun. Um, and, uh, you know, she's in love with Kermit. I mean, from they lock eyes and she's she's smitten, right? And she fights for him, but then she immediately abandons him and then she reunites with him. And that dance is what characterizes their relationship. So if you need a genesis of how the Muppets, how Miss Piggy and Kermit got into this, they've been dancing this uh you know, fight for you, abandon you, reunite with you. They've been kissing and making up for, um, gosh, to this day, right? This for, is the day. For sure. Um, <laughs> That's how it works. But what's what's funny for me is the relationship between Kermit and Miss Piggy is always foiled by the relationship between Kermit and Fozzie. When I mean foiled, I mean mm-hmm. mirrored. Kermit and Fozzie are, K- Kermit and Miss Piggy are lovers. But mm. Kermit and Fozzie are soulmates. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is Kermit and Miss Piggy may love each other, but they can never trust each other in that complete, like, like m- your motives are beyond reproach sort right. of way. And Kermit and Fozzie have that relationship. Mm-hmm. Kermit and Fozzie would die for each other. No questions asked. Yeah. Gonzo and Camilla. So is Gonzo poultry? Well, so up until this point in 1976, his official definition is he's whatever. He's poultry sexual. That was established. Yes. That was established. Although right. he also seems to have an attraction towards Miss Piggy. Uh, yeah. That's, if you were a chicken, you'd be impeccable. Right? Yes. I mean, what a great pun. For sure. <laughs> Um, what, what's interesting about Gonzo when we meet him, and we don't spend a lot of time on this, Gonzo is a plumber mm-hmm. when we meet him. And he's wearing a plumber's outfit for most of the movie. <laughs> he's not someone who has the, he has the dream inside him. But it's not till he crashes the car into Kermit that he actually voices the dream, which is to mm-hmm. go to Bombay, India and become a famous movie star. Because he doesn't want to do it the easy way. But that's not, he's not heading in Bollywood, for right? Yeah. We all looked at each other in the family and went, oh, Bollywood, I guess that's what he's doing. He's not, but he's not heading to Bombay, India. He's heading towards a life of being a plumber. Right. And Ker- Gonzo is the one who's inspired. And yet, Gonzo has what is probably the most soulful song in this movie. Mm. Uh, maybe even more so than Rainbow Connection. It's not as famous as Rainbow Connection. It's when they're in the desert, he sings, um, it, you know, I'm going to go back there someday. Yeah. Which is which is a, like looking towards the spiritual side of things. Uh, my mm-hmm. favorite line from that song is, there's not a word yet for old friends who've just met. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is, mm-hmm. again, this idea of found friendship and how, you know, when he looks up at the sky, he's like, there's so much more out there than this little right. moment in the desert. He, mm. in a way, 
Gonzo is the shaman in this movie. Yeah, yeah, he's both the shaman and the comic relief. Like, I, if you need a comic relief for the Muppets, right? Because they're all comic relief. But he has, like I said, you said, when he has that moment where he sings, I'm going to go back there someday, like he explains the place that I think, I think all artists of any, like if you're serious about doing art, right, um, that you that you get to, it's the almost there, but not quite. It's this spiritual space where we note the place that you're going is the place you came from. You know, and, and I think it's funny, you know, that Gonzo seems sort of aimless, but in that moment, he knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. It's really, it's really, it's beautiful. It's, it's, yeah, it's this really, um, man, it's great. I needed it this week and I got it. It was really good. No, I mean, I, so, so I'm glad he's there. Um, and Gonzo is also, you know, he, if, if you know, I was to say Kermit is Mickey Mouse, Gonzo is Tigger. Uh, yeah, Gonzo, or Gonzo goofy, is maybe. Yeah, he's m- more Tigger because he's more enthusiasm and and trying things without knowing whether he can do them. Yeah, right. Like right. Like he wants. He enjoys being up in those balloons. He's thrilled to be up there. <laughs> and you know, Goofy, if he was up there, would be going, uh, "Gosh, what's going to happen?" You know. Right. But but Gonzo, it's the best moment of his life is being back up in those balloons. That's what he says in the desert. I wish I had my balloons again. Right. Yeah. I mean, he embodies. He lives in the moment, and he is fearless. And yes. that is that's why great. he is the great Gonzo. He is the great Gonzo. All right, themes. So the themes I came up with are really honestly sort of cliche, but I think this movie, again, is almost a manifesto of sorts for, like we said, artists and misfits. This is a movie about found family for me. Mm. Um, Found family, loving other people, the dream. Mm -hmm. Um, Follow your dreams, sure. Following your dreams. But But it's also about the promises we make to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And how it's okay to feel disappointment. Uh, but that doesn't, like, it's about not giving up. Right. It's, it's everything good is the theme of this movie. Everything yeah, I mean, good. it's about, yeah, it's about believing in yourself. Um, I love how he sticks to his principles. I love how Kermit sticks to his principles in this. I love how the journey is really the destination. Sure. Because they have just as much fun I mean, honestly, if you compare the the moment where, you know, Orson Welles says, you know, prepare the standard rich and famous contract, yes. <laughs> right, which is a great Kermit line. Doesn't and I, can't, even I can never have, say it without laughing. He right? doesn't even but, have to audition. No, like that, the fun that he's had along the way is this journey. It's yeah. been this, you know, forget the audition. You this just show up in great. the office and they hand you the yeah. contract. That's the and dream. The, and the reason we know that is because when they get a chance to have this contract, what do they make a movie of? They make it of this journey. Right. They just want to tell their story, the story about yeah. how they all became friends. We have yeah. them. We have a Muppet movie in which we watch a Muppet movie in which they try to make another Muppet movie. And I bet if that movie continued, they would make a movie inside that movie and we would keep inceptioning our way down uh, into infinite Muppet multiverse. That's that's just it. That's that's just it. That's awesome. 
Um, well, pitch time. So given everything from the Muppet Show to Muppet Babies to the Muppets to Muppets Now to Muppets Treasure Island, Muppets Christmas Carol, on and on and on. I mean, they're just scads of Muppet pieces. What on earth do we do for a pitch? Well, for me, the cornerstone of the Muppet movie is the kermit Fozzie relationship. And I think I want a movie that is just them. Like the other mm. Muppets can be there, but I don't I don't want it everybody going on a journey. I want front and center Kermit and Fozzie going on an adventure. Uh, and I want at the start of this for it to be about their relationship that Fozzie has kept going out there and bombing and bombing and bobbing as he has done since the Muppet show began. Um, and Kermit Kermit has always stood by him and believed in him. But this is the time Statler and Waldorf say the thing to Fozzie that penetrates his optimism. And we see the dream die a little bit. Fozzie's never going to be that comedian. And yet, so Fozzie leaves the theater. Kermit goes to get him back. And then I'm going to share like this little excerpt from a dream that I had. I really dreamed this dream. (laughs) It's a bunch of people are shooting at Kermit and Fozzie, right? And Kermit says to Fozzie, did you order a hit on me? And 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 uh, did you try to get these guys to kill me? And Fozzie goes, no, Kermit, never. I would never. He, Kermit says, they said they were going to order it. You ordered a hit on me. And Fozzie goes, oh, that, yes, yes, I did that. And Kermit goes, why <laughs> did you order a hit on me? And Fozzie says, well, I, and then Kermit goes, you thought they were going to throw a cream pie in my face. And Fozzie goes, yeah. it would have been funny. <laughs> I want at the end of this for Fozzie to Kermit and Fozzie to get the dream back. I want them. Mm. I want Fozzie to have lost the dream and for Kermit to come back and bring the dream back to Fozzie. And at the end of the movie, Fozzie does a set and Statler, Statler and Waldorf are rolling, rolling I in the aisles. It. That's what I want. That would be amazing. I... So the Muppet franchise right now is sort of in a slump. And I'm kind of sad about that because I actually enjoy, like I actually enjoyed the Muppets a lot. The ABC reboot. I thought it was hysterical. Oh, I love that. Yes. Um, we loved it as a family and then it was gone. And then Muppets now, um, you know, I, I enjoyed that. Um, I enjoyed the Muppets uh, haunted mansion thing. I thought it was really fun, but a lot of people aren't liking it. And I think it's because they're playing too much to nostalgia. Because again, if, if you know, if I'm the audience for this, a little kid's going to watch this and go, I don't know. So I would really like to see the Muppets acknowledge that they're in a slump and that the audiences they used to perform for now are just older and that times have changed and people want these kind of fast paced, action packed, big picture dramas with lots of CGI and I think it would be really fun to put Kermit out of a job. I'd like to send him back to his lily pad in the swamp. His days are over. And then once the glitter and glamour of show business is over, he's depressed. I think the other people have kind of lost sight of why they started doing this in the first place. And, you know, I see Piggy leaving him again. Maybe this time she's leaving for good. Maybe uh, Fozzie's a successful single act now. He doesn't need Kermit. Bunce and Honeydew and Beaker have their own podcast. And the only Muppet that stays with him is Gonzo. Gonzo's got nowhere to go except for to be with his pal Kermit. Because again, 
Nobody needs a stunt gonzo anymore. That's all. No, it's all it's all computer animation. So Kermit's got this chance. He's back in his swamp and this kind of sleazeball Doc Hopper type gives him a chance to invest in a real estate franchise, which will drain the swamp. And Kermit takes it. And the the more. Yeah, this time he takes it. And the more Gonzo tries to get him out of the swamp, the more Kermit digs in. And Kermit has to remember why he wanted the standard rich and famous contract to begin with. And it was to make millions of people happy by sharing his own happiness and not to not really buying into some notion that relevant sells, that it's not about real estate and jacking up prices. It's about doing what's important and staying in your lane. Right. And then what Kermit does best is what you've said. Like he collects people and he, he needs to learn that his audiences care more about the genuine and that what's lacking in this culture today is that people don't really care about each other the way he cares about them or used to care. And so I want to see Kermit rediscover his heart, that he's still a lover and a dreamer, and that the Muppets still matter, and that they can meet new families and kids and teach them these same lessons. That's what I'm hoping for. Nice. And, 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 and again, people who can respect them and adore them for who they are now, and maybe not what they were then. Sure. I mean, the, the thing about the Muppets that makes this movie so special is how much invention is happening here. Mm. And the Muppets always need to keep inventing, right? They, they can't right. stay stagnant. They, they must push forward. They must keep inventing. Yeah. I like that. All right. Well, what movie are we tackling next week, Larry? Next week, we are tackling The Rescuers, which I believe is one of your favorite (gasps) movies. So excited. I mean, Mary Poppins and The Rescuers for me are, those are the movies. So I absolutely love The Rescuers from 1977. So excited. Um, I think I actually saw this at a drive-in movie when I was maybe like three. Oh, wow. And I remember they re-released the movie in like the early 80s. Um, along with Mickey's Christmas Carol as the it, front. It has been a while since I've seen The Rescuers, so I'm curious to see how this goes for me. Oh, yeah, me too. So, well, friends, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic or Muppet movie fan? And hey, uh, check out our What's Upon a Disney Facebook page. You can also tweet us at, at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner 6 or drop us a line in our mailbag at once upon a Disney podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. Manamana. <laughs> <laughs>